from the Three Story Method Podcast Network. This is the Serial Fiction Show. I'm Christine Daigle. And I'm J.P. Reinbush. Welcome to the Writer's Serial Fiction Show. This is the companion podcast to the Reader's Serial Fiction Show. If you haven't listened to today's story, we'd encourage you to pause and go listen to episode two of the companion podcast first. We can only play half the episode. So if you like what you hear, check out the full episode free on Vela. The link to the podcast and the episode are in the show notes. So, Christine, how has your serial writing been going? It has been going well. More episodes done than the last time we chatted. So, you know, forward progress. It's been a pretty steady pace, as you're going to hear in a minute. I, I can't complain. It's been a little bit been a bit of a challenge trying to do that with doing this podcast because this is a new learning curve for me. So I've been spending a lot of time listening to microphone fuzz. How about you? How has your fiction writing been going, serial or otherwise? All of it has been going well. So I sent off the one of my books to the editor just recently. So now I, yay, I have like one moment of breath and then I have to dive into another book like right now. Um, but also, uh, serial fiction wise, I may or may not have a potential co-author. Oh, yay. yay. I think it's so nice to write with a co-author. It's such good motivation and energy and keeping each other on track. And I think with the pace of serial fiction, then it's just a fantastic option to do that. So I'm so glad you have a co-author. Do you want to talk about that or is that a secret right now? Still a secret because we're still figuring out if we do want to work together or not. But we're like, I'm a vomiter of ideas. Uh, so I think I terrified them with like several pages of ideas. But luckily they have yet to run away. So that's a positive. But especially for someone in my position uh, having a day job, I have found that I just love doing things with other people, doing co-podcasts, doing co-author stuff, because it, it keeps this energy alive and flowing because sometimes doing stuff alone, not so fun. So I just, I, and this opportunity kind of like showed itself out of nowhere. I had no expectations for it. I completely agree with that. It's just such a dynamic experience working with someone else, podcast or writing wise. And there's an accountability piece to it too. So you can't slack if you're, you know, having a little bit of an energy slump. So I'm really excited for you about that. And I can't wait to hear more. Yeah. So hopefully soon-ish enough, I will be able to share. But for now, it's a secret. Okay. All right. So today we are going to be discussing your sci-fi, The Molecule Thief, which you co-wrote with Stuart Sternberg under the pen name of LP Styles. Yes. Exciting. That pen name is actually the name of a character that we wrote together in the first book that we did. So we just stole it from that. That's awesome. So that's kind of fun. Yeah. My only criteria was I'm like, I want something that's initials and an easy to spell last name. So we stole one of our previous characters and made that our pet name. So yeah, I'm really excited to talk shop with you and Stuart. Yeah. Just as a side note, we've looked into the scene using some of the basics of three-story method. You don't need to be familiar with three-story method for this podcast, but if you want to learn more about it, the link is in the show notes. And here's the interview. So let's get down into the nitty gritty of this scene. So Let's start with kind of the structure of the three-story method. 
And then we can kind of build off from there and get a little bit broader. But let's focus in on this scene. We'll start with armature, which is a lot like theme. It's your your social proof or your proof of concept, your your argument that you want to make that you are claiming is a, a true statement and you are using your words to argue that. So instead of saying your your theme is love, you're saying that love uh, between a mother and daughter cures all happiness. And then you're using that as your driving point. The armature I picked up in Molecule Thief uh, for this first scene was something along the lines of either connections with others are worth making no matter how difficult or that relationships are worth having and that good people can see past that on the surface level. Is this something that you guys are looking to continue to explore or is there a different armature or theme that you guys feel you have? You know what? I think that is not what I was thinking, but I think that is really perceptive. And now that you say that, pretty much all of my work deals with people going from disconnected to connected. So if we're talking about story structure or framing a story, pretty much all my stories start out as hero's journey and end up heroine's journey. So they start out alone and then realize, you know what, I really do better with connection. So I definitely think that is a huge element in this story. There is for sure people who are disconnected or are outsiders or outcasts who are finding connection with each other and solving problems that they couldn't have solved on their own. So I think you are a hundred percent right on that. I actually looked it up before this podcast because I write my theme down and just to have a general idea, sometimes I'll just write it down and then never go back to it. And it was just kind of rough, but it was something along the lines of, you know, life flourishes or life is saved when we're true to ourselves or when we express our authentic gifts. So I think that's part of it as well. What do you think about that, Stuart? We, we talk about re- relationships and connections between people all the time. And, and, uh, when I was looking at Spencer, I, I was trying to look at what's important. And first you have, for Spencer, for me, the, the armature is about growth, the importance of growth in uh, developing relationships. And for Spencer, you have him beginning, you know, we, we see the, the really important relationship right now between his, him and his mother. And for Spencer to open up and let other people in is, is really a big step forward because he's grown up being picked on at school. He's grown up being different from everyone else, feeling different, feeling alienated. And the earthquakes that separate, you know, basically destroy Seattle. The earthquakes are something that we like to call the, the externalization of the inner, you know, inner conflict. And for us, you know, what's, that's what teenagers feel. Uh, there's one other thing about theme that was important, for me anyway, is the idea that when you were a teenager, everything's about you. And uh, even when you're at someone else's wedding, you're not at someone else's wedding. You're at Cheryl's wedding. Or it, that's the episode. It's, it's the Spencer show. The episode is Cheryl's wedding, starring Spencer. You know, so that was, and, and it just happens that thematically, what Christine said and what I'm putting forward do really well together. 
and mm-hmm. and create a, a whole. Very nice. So I think with this first scene, if I were to try and pick apart who the protagonist and antagonist were, I would say that they're both Spencer. And the reason I felt that way was it, Spencer's want in in the main part of this is to just say the right things to the other character to be able to convey what he's feeling inside externally and i feel like that inner need that drive that is is making him want to say the right things is that he he needs this connection he needs another person to to bond with and um and so the antagonist that i felt the scene was was his own self-sabotage his his own neurodivergence um as part of it uh which i thought you guys portrayed amazingly I'm going to assume that there are going to be other antagonists that are not Spencer uh, throughout the story. But what can you say in a like a broader sense of where you guys are taking it uh, for wants and needs of both your protagonists and antagonists? You know, I think you are too smart to uh, now. I don't need to write the rest of the serial because you already know who the antagonist is. But I, I think you're dead on there that the force of antagonism in more ways than one is Spencer through through the whole thing. He is his own worst enemy. And, you know, we often think there are external ex- external antagonists in this story, but the force really working against him is himself. And that comes in multiple ways and through multiple external antagonists, but it's himself. And I think we see that in other stories, especially if we're seeing stories with addiction or it's the same kind of thing. He just wants to be accepted. That's really what his, he just wants to be accepted. He wants to fit in, but what he needs is to be his authentic self. Do you know what else though, as about antagonists, which is interesting in, in this, the whole structure of the external and the internal is, is a almost a metaphor for personality, you know, the whole personality. When you look at the idea of this other world, that's part of, you know, they're all connected. And what you have is at any given time, we are as much an antagonist to that other world as that other world is an antagonist to us. So there's a sense of duality that we play with a lot. The molecule thief, him, him or herself, is the the real metaphor here for for duality. I, I don't want to give any give stuff away, but the molecule thief is you know is such an important character that you don't meet until much later. But in some ways, you meet that character from the first word. So just to tease you a little bit. Yeah. No, I love. I love that whole idea behind it because I think nowadays our antagonists and our villains, if they are our antagonists, are not always the mustache twirling, you know, obvious bad characters. To me, in writing antagonists, I really like it when the antagonist is only portrayed as the opposing force or the person that carries the opposite theme of the the protagonist. And if we were to shift focus and turn the antagonist into a protagonist, we could easily do that because they are the hero of their own story. And it's just a matter of perspective as to how you are telling it. Yeah, I a hundred percent agree. I, I really think that's what this is. And just thinking more on it for wants and needs. I mean, Spencer is a teenager and for teenagers, it's all about fitting in. It's all about status and his social status is low. 
he is, his social status is so low. He feels neglected, rejected, all of that. And trying to fit in just makes it worse because he, he can't, he can't fit in. He's not going to get acceptance by trying to be like everyone else. So it's really a, a status arc for him. He's going to go from being unaccepted to being accepted and admired when he can just be faithful to who he is and not worry about what everyone else thinks. And I think that's uh, when you have protagonists who are in that teenage range, I think that's often a big theme. How do I fit into the world? Where do I fit into the world? And how, how do I go about doing that? So I think that's a big part of his journey. Of course, there are all the external stakes of life and death, but really it's about how does he find his place in the world? So when I applied the three-story method to this episode, and I looked at the, the three C's, the conflict choice and consequence of a scene. I found three potential scenes that if maybe if I had written this, this is kind of the setup that I would have done in pre-planning. Um, and we can kind of discuss this uh, afterwards, but I'm just going to list through the, the scenes that I recognized and um, kind of like the conflict choice and consequence that I saw. So scene one, we've got Spencer's dad grabbing him, realizing there's a quake, something uh, more serious than uh, Spencer was taking it to begin with. Uh, the choice to me was he mentally checked out from that situation, kind of shutting his eyes. He was muttering to himself. Uh, so he was, he was making that choice that like, I'm not participating in this moment. And the consequence was that his parents were forced to help him to end up and, and ended up hurting him more than if he had potentially, you know, realized the situation was more serious and didn't check out. Scene two, we have Maud startling Spencer as the conflict. That's the thing that kind of draws him out of his moment is this person appearing. We've got the choice, Spencer making an active effort to show interest in Maud. So he's, he's trying really hard to keep his focus on her to kind of address that, like, I am, have interest in you and I need you to know this. And Maud is actually reciprocating that interest in her own way as a consequence. Uh, and then lastly, the, the really short scene three is when Spencer notices that change in the water, another conflict. You know, we have a status quo where he's, uh, I think, alone again by himself. Uh, and there's something that happens, some little shift in the water. Uh, his choice is he tries to tell himself a lie. And the consequences, he knows it's, it's not uh, that lie isn't real and it's worrying him what's about to happen. So those were the scenes that I saw. I would agree with you. I mean, the first one is kind of a little flashback to the past. It's it's the hook. It's the inciting incident for what put the whole story in motion with these earthquakes. And obviously the conflict there is there's an earthquake going on. He doesn't know what to do. He decides that nowhere is safe. So he might as well just stay where he is. And then the consequences, his parents dragging and injuring him. So yeah, I would agree with that. Any thoughts about that, Stuart? I think that there's a major, when, when we construct a scene, there's always a question of how, how is the character moving backward or forward? What are you showing? What is the reader going to take away from it? And in the initial scene, what you want to do is to immediately hook the reader with the, with the character. And by putting him in that incredibly vulnerable situation, and showing that he's not in control of the situation. I mean, he, he's in control, but his control is not what we would choose for him because it endangers him. And by having that vulnerability, you immediately appeal to the humanity of the reader to, 
to cheer for the underdog, to cheer for, especially when you're dealing with a kid. You put a kid in danger and you know, the reader will, will just, you know, cheer. Yeah. In my opinion. That was, that first scene I actually I really enjoyed because I feel like that scene could have been written as this character almost being a fly on the wall and having their, their parents grab him and, and injure him. But what you really added to that scene was his own decision to not do anything. And that was the key because you, you made a choice for that character that was an active participation in the scene. I think that that's one thing that we as writers really need to focus on is how is our character moving about the scene? And I felt like, it, go ahead. There's something else though that I, I really can't say a lot about because it, it gives away some major plot points going forward. But there, in that initial scene, you have the major antagonist present. We, it, that little scene is a microcosm of everything that's about to happen, which is one of the advantages of outlining. One of the advantages of knowing where you're going is that you're able to construct a scene right at the get-go that a pantser might intuitively say, okay, I, I want to get this happening here and then try to figure out where it fits in and then have to keep going back and keep editing and keep editing. But by outlining and creating that microcosm in that opening scene, we were able to set up all of these thematic possibilities and at the same time uh, create that conflict for the, the protagonist and the antagonist. I'm, so now that you've mentioned it, I'm very curious about your outlining. How in-depth is it? How many potential seasons of Molecule Thief do you have? Do you have room for more seasons in between, or do you have everything kind of hard laid out in front of you? I think... Our outlines are not that detailed. They usually end up being maybe a few pages. It's, it's more like points on a roadmap of where we're going. And we have the touch points to get from Michigan to California, but we might get there a different way or take some detours. We have it planned out to be probably 80,000 words-ish of a self-contained story, but then open for more. This could be continued on, depending on what reader responses to it. Depends on if we're going to write more. Could we write indefinitely in this world with these characters? I think we could. So could we do a season two, three, four? We could. It's going to depend on on the feedback that we get from the from the audience and the market. So in, in, in working on a molecule thief, I think what's really important, let's make this the best we can. And if there's another one, fine. If there's not another one, if the readership wants it and we have the ability to come up with ideas which we have, that's great. But right now, let's make this the best we have. Awesome. So as collaborators, I'm very interested in what kind of programs, tools, or softwares you guys use to make sure that you guys are getting the most up-to-date documents to each other or how you guys kind of do that part. It's very sophisticated. We, use we have a, a long vacuum tomb. A long vacuum too. It, it goes under that would the be Detroit amazing. River. Yeah, oh, it is. <laughs> yeah, it goes it from is. Canada to uh, Michigan under the Detroit but you River. Can't, you can't put any change in there. Only no pencils, just paper. I would need one from Illinois to Florida and Illinois to California. 
That would be a long tube. Yeah. Our tube is shorter. Yeah. So the, the, what, so, okay, why don't you talk about your software and stuff and I'll, and I'll see if I agree okay. with you. My, yeah, my process is very complicated. We write it in Word and then we put it in Dropbox and then we nag each other over Google Hangouts and say, okay, I'm done with this part. It's your turn. That's our process. I use Word and I use Scrivener and I use obviously Dropbox, but I've, I've tried an experiment in the last few months with I'm writing a new novel a, a solo project for now and I wanted to try, I wanted to try to write it in word on my phone because if it's on your phone you can write anywhere you know you could be sitting how many times have you have wasted minutes and if you could work it'd be great so that's been incredibly successful thank you Microsoft for you know, turning Word into this incredible tool on Android anyway. And those are my software choices right now. Awesome. With doing serials, are you guys going to have an editor? Yeah, we have beta readers. So definitely we have a beta reader. And then we have an editor who is doing proofing with light feedback. So, I mean, it's a bit different than a novel process because you just don't have time to be as in depth, but we have a dedicated beta reader and then we have a proofer who does light develop or not light editing, not we no developmental editing on this, just light editing. Cool. I think I, I like asking that question, even though it's a very straightforward answer, just because I think, especially when we talk about serials, uh, we've got a, probably a few people that are very interested in starting and they're like, wait, do I have to edit this like a full novel or what? And I know that you guys are collaborating and I, I've also worked with a collaborator and there's just a little bit of a difference there when you have someone else whose eyes are on it within those first few drafts because you guys can kind of build on each other. But uh, yeah, no, that was great. Yeah, I, I use pro, uh, pro writing aid as well. I have pro writing aid and autocrit and I interchange them depending on my mood. But yeah, we do that as well. I think there are just some things in serial you have to let go, mm-hmm. you know. Do you guys have any advice for anyone looking into starting up a Vela or a serial? Do it. That's the advice. Yeah. yeah. Just write. Just write and, and focus on quality of your, of your writing. Just write. And everything else, in my opinion, will come. I think, too, if you can write multiple episodes before you release, so you have a bit of a stockpile. So if you have life events that come up or you're feeling burned out, you can have that in your, your back pocket. You know, if you can get 10 episodes ahead of yourself, that would probably be excellent. And also just to think about the reality of having a consistent release schedule. While it might be tempting from a monetary standpoint to say, okay, I want to do this every day. I think you have to look at your circumstances. If you're not a full-time writer and you have a day job, maybe weekly is fine. So I think just thinking about a consistent and doable release schedule for you is important. Awesome. Well, thank you too for fantastic uh, discussion on writing. And uh, yeah, that's all. Thanks, JP. Our thanks today to Christine Daigle and Stuart Sternberg for letting me break down your episode. Finally, we want to thank you for listening to the Writer's Serial Fiction Show. If you know someone who might enjoy the show, send them your favorite episode link. And if you want to leave an Apple podcast review, we read all of them and use your suggestions. We'd love to hear from you. 
Thanks. And we'll see you next time with another Stereo Fiction episode. And that's that's a wrap. wrap. So that's what you did for your birthday. You just did writing stuff all day. Kind of. I, I stopped at like noonish. I do the same thing. I, would I, do the I same know. Thing. I was like, what is my <laughs> ideal day? And I was like, let's just live my ideal day. And that's what it was. Don't worry. I've I'm just going to overdub all of that with kittens. I also like to put on. <laughs> I write, so that kind of helps.